Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening and turn to Genesis chapter 2 once again. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read again verse, starting at verse 18 through verse 25. <clears throat> Excuse me, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not find and help meat for him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Last week we looked at marriage established by God. This week it's marriage maintenance by mutual esteem. Marriage maintenance by mutual esteem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love, your mercies, which are new every morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word that never changes, and the principles thereof that we can rest and trust in and depend upon and put our faith and confidence in. And I pray, Father, look into the word of God tonight, that we would encourage our hearts, strengthen us, uh, give us understanding and wisdom into thy truth, and help us as your people uh, to glorify you in our relationships and to have wisdom for those relationships. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, so if we're talking about specifically the marriage relationship, but a lot of these principles are applicable to all relationships. And young people may they think, you know, as we think about this tonight, you know, of course, one day you may get married, so you ought to be considering what kind of man or woman uh, do I, am I to look for? Or, and learn to put into practice these principles that are taught in the Word of God before marriage, and then and I believe that will make the marriage adjustment much easier. And I say adjustment, it is an adjustment. Um, you know, courting can be a wonderful thing, but it's not marriage. You know, I, we, uh, years ago we had an evangelist preach the message, and he called it the million dollar, or the million dollar marriage. And somebody said, yeah, it's easy to have a million dollars of mar- marriage when you are away from home 40 weeks of the year. He didn't really live with his wife. He was on the road 40 weeks of the year. Um, but when you have to live with somebody every day and rub shoulders with somebody every day, there's much more, it's much more possible, it's much easier for there to friction arise. And, and so, um, you know, the, there's principles here that, that should govern, that are to govern, to maintain the home. And marriage, marriages are not sustained by romantic feelings. I know that goes contrary to what 
modern women and even the men want to think. That's the way the world thinks. It's sustained by romantic feelings. Feelings are subject to change. They change constantly. If, if you're trying to maintain your marriage by romantic feelings, you're going to have a lot of ups and downs. You're going to have a lot of disagreements. You're going to have a lot of conflict. Um, no, they are maintained by mutual esteem. In his book again, I quoted from this last week, on the Christian family, um, Larry Christensen said this, quote, In considering the structure, on page 29, quote, In considering the structure of Christian marriage, the nature and place of romantic love needs to be re-examined. We tend to give it a status of autonomous authority over a marriage. Love this something that just, quote, is, unquote. Either you have it or you don't, and there's not much you can do about it. The delusioned young couple discovers that, quote, we just don't love each other anymore, unquote. And tearfully concludes that their marriage has lost its essential basis for existence. Now, love is an essential ingredient of marriage, but the marriage does not depend upon love for its continued existence. Rather, the love depends upon marriage for its continued existence. Marriage gives to love a situation of stability and permanence wherein it can grow toward maturity. Marriage rescues love from the tyranny of strong but immature feelings. It forces a person to live out times of difficulty and win through new depths of love and understanding. Love should never be allowed to tyrannize a marriage and threaten its dissolution. Couples who come to the despairing conclusion that we just don't love each other anymore, quote-unquote, should be told quite simply, well, start learning. You say, start learning? Yeah. You know, that is what the Bible teaches. In fact, Ephesians 5, husbands are commanded to love their wives. And in Titus chapter 2, wives, elderly women are told to instruct the younger women how to love their husbands. You see, you learn to love. You learn to love. You know, it's my contention that you learn to love those you spend time with. Learn to love. He goes on and says, quote, When we have entered into marriage, God commands us to love one another. Love from God's point of view is not the basis for marriage, but the issue or outcome of a successful marriage. It is far more subject to the will than we suppose. We help cultivate and develop love because we set our mind to do so. You've got to set your mind to do this. It's an act of the will. That's what biblical love is. It's an act of the will. It's not an act of feelings. It's an act of the will. In marriage, we're not helpless pawns of love. Rather, we train love to be the willing servant of, this, of marriage. This kind of love does not grow in the sandy soil of our immediate feelings. It roots down in the rich subsoil of mutual esteem. Mutual esteem. The woman holds her mate in high regard, which God has conferred on him with the name husband. The man likewise cherishes the woman, whom God has honored with the name wife. And a reverence for the dignity and honor which God has bestowed upon one's mate establishes married love upon the enduring foundation. Upon this foundation can be built the kind of love which Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. And so, you know, the maintenance of the marriage is mutual esteem. It's a, it's a, 
It is love, but it's a biblical love. It's not a romantic love or a romantic feeling. It's not a romantic feeling. Uh, the interesting thing is here in Genesis chapter 2, do you realize that Adam didn't pick his wife? Do you ever think about that? He'd look around and say, oh, I like that one. Or I'll spend some time with her and see if I like her, and then I'll take her, you know. I've known that. Yeah, God designed it. God designed marriage. And he simply made her and brought her to Adam. And he accepted her as his wife. He didn't have a choice, really. That's, well, he did. But, you know, but we have this idea today, and, and people that get married many times, they get married, and then they come to this conclusion, oh, we're not compatible. Not compatible. Well, there is some requirements, and we're talking about Christian marriage. There is some requirements we need to consider that's, that's, that's kind of without question. First of all, they need to be saved. If you're a Christian, they need to be saved. And the second thing you need to consider is, are they walking with the Lord? What kind of church they're in? How faithful they are to church? You know, what do they believe? Do they have convictions, Bible convictions? Do they follow the leadership of the Lord and his church? You know, these are, the, these are things that, that need to be considered. And, but as far as compatibility, people of varying different personalities live together and happily married. Because it's not based on necessarily compatibility. It's based on doing what is right. That is what marriage is. Or that's what love is, really. You know, Romans 13 says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. That's biblical love. You know, go to 1 Corinthians 13. You know, he, he mentioned that. And, and this is really what, this is how love is described, or charity, and the word is agape, uh, and it's the highest form of love. It's the love of God. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. You know, there's. there's Sometimes you, you have couples that are jealous of each other. Uh, and that, that, that can destroy a marriage very quickly. Uh, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. So, so doth not behave itself unseemly, sinketh not her own. And, of course, we see this, you know, as we think about mutual esteem, you're esteeming other better than themselves. That's, that's the principle that Paul taught uh, uh, to the church at Philippi, where there was two women who couldn't get along, and he said, look, you need to esteem the other better than yourselves. That's Christian conduct. That's just not for married people. That's for Christian conduct. It's not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. In other words, you don't think evil. Love doesn't think evil or question people's motives. Think what, you know, look at people as if they have evil intentions without grants. Think of no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Believeth all things, beareth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So, so real love will endure some differences. You know, the Lord bears with us. He is long-suffering to us. And so, you know, this is, this is, this is what love is. And, and I mentioned Philippians chapter 2, and just turn over there as we're thinking about this mutual esteem. 
and then we're going to go to Ephesians 5, but if, if, uh, Philippians chapter 2, and you know, this is not speaking about marriage, but the principle is, 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 uh, is the same. Philippians 2, verse 1, If therefore there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now, how are you going to do that? You have to have one focus. And if you have one focus, it's not difficult to have one mind. And, of course, our focus is, we know what the focus is. Our focus is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, obviously what these, and I believe he's referring particularly to two women here. As you mentioned, he's going to name them in chapter 4. And, and so there was this, this differences between them, and they weren't getting along. And so he, he says, look, uh, you need to, you need to have one, be of one accord, and you need to be of one mind. Christ is to have the preeminence, not you. And then he goes on and says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Don't seek your own, that's seeking your own, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of other. So we're talking here about just mutual esteem. And, and so these are the things that maintain the marriage relationship. Now, as we think about the marriage relationship, if we go to Ephesians chapter 5, and look at, there's a, two things I want to mention. One particular talks about with the husband, the other with the wife. And, and, they, and they both, I believe, fall under this idea of mutual esteem or willing to sacrifice or put the other before themselves. And we'll start with the husband. Verse 23. Or verse 24. Verse 25, I'm sorry. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their, own, their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Uh, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So the husband is to love his wife. You know, and, he, and the illustration that he gives is the same way that, that Christ loved the church. He sacrificed himself for it. You know, again, that means I put her, I esteem her or honor her above myself. Um, I'm being willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to give my life. I'm willing to protect, provide, and care for. You know, and, and, and this can this you know this this idea boils down to little things day day in day out that go a long way to making the wife know that she is loved. Go to go to First Peter chapter three. Also, we'll be looking there some. First Peter chapter three. And verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, 
as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, there's a couple of things I want to notice here. We're to dwell with them according to knowledge. According to knowledge. That means we need to, to learn. Learn about them. Study them. We're to give honor as unto the weaker vessel. You know, there's things that a, a woman isn't made to do and handle that a man is made to do and handle. Your husband is, to willing to, is supposed to sacrifice himself for her and take the pressures of life off of her. You know, I read this the other day. You know, uh, uh, a, an irritable neighbor may knock on a, the door of a house, and the wife answers the door. And he said, there's a couple boards. He's angry. There's a couple boards that were knocked off my fence, and I think your kids did it, and I want it fixed. Now, if she's got a husband or love her, and she knows it, you know what she's going to say? Well, I'll let my husband know, and he'll take care of it. And see, she won't then have feel that she has to be responsible to, to face this angry neighbor. Her husband will take care of it because she has confidence that he loves her. He's willing to sacrifice for her. Uh, you know, the weaker vessel, of course, you know, in body they are weaker. You know, a husband that loves his wife doesn't expect her to work like he does. A man's made to work. You know, a woman is more created for childbearing and for keeping house. It's not the same kind of work as men. Uh, you know, the man is to provide. We, we see that in the scripture. He's to provide for his own house. And if he, if he doesn't, he's to deny the faith and it's worth the infidel. So, you know, there, there's little things that a husband can do to, to demonstrate that he appreciates and honors his wife. Now, this, this may seem silly to some of you, and I don't care if it does or doesn't. But if, I, if I'm in the car, I'm out somewhere in the car, and it's under half half tank of gas and you know my wife cleans houses usually Thursdays and Fridays if it's under half tank gas I fill it up so that she doesn't have to now I I know of a guy who actually drove to a gas station has met his wife there so she wouldn't have to pump gas I wouldn't do that but you know obviously he really honored his wife and I don't know if his wife was averse to pumping gas in the car or not but anyway you know uh but just little things that one can do to show that you care and want to minister and you're willing to sacrifice for her uh you bear the brunt of the responsibility for child training it is your responsibility it is your responsibility You know, these things demonstrate that you are willing to sacrifice for her. You're going to take up your time for her. You're going to be willing to sacrifice your time for her. It says he's to nourish her. Uh, you know, Christ nourishes the church. That means he provides for them. He strengthens it. He builds it up. 
And of course, this is done by, by the man as a breadwinner to provide for his own house. Uh, he, he is to cherish her. Verse 29 says, for, for, but he nourishes and cherishes it. That means to, to, the word cherish means to foster with tender care, to keep warm. There ought to be a kindness, a warmth in the relationship toward his wife. Not hostility and anger and those kind of things. But a fondness. To treat as dear, to cling fondly to, to hold an estimation of worth and appreciation. And so, these are the things that the husband is to do. Uh, Of course, there's also uh, teaching and instruction, verses 25 and 26. And again, says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the church. So, you know, your husband is the Lord in the marriage. He's to be the Lord in the marriage. He must lead. He must command. He must correct when needed. He has the place or position of responsibility and accountability. In fact, go to Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. <clears throat> In Numbers chapter 30, the Lord gives some laws concerning vows. And in verse 1 it says, And Moses spake unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. If a man vow a vow in the Lord and swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. If a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house, so she's still at home in her father's house, in her youth, and her father hear the vow, and her bond wherewith she hath bound, bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherein wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. But if her father disallow her in the day that he heareth, not any of her vows or of her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her because her father disallowed. And if she had an own husband when she vowed and uttered out of her lips wherewith she bound her soul, and her husband heard it and held his peace at her in the day that he heard it, then her vows shall stand, and her bonds wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband disallowed her in the day that he heard it, then he shall make her vow which she vowed, and that which she hath bound her soul of none effect, and the Lord shall forgive her. And so the husband has the responsibility over his daughter and his wife concerning vows, whether they stand or not stand. So th- this is what you would call leadership or oversight of the home. And the, and the father is responsible you know that takes a lot of responsibility off the shoulders of a woman, of a wife. Why does he do that? Because he values her. He honors her. He esteems her above himself. He's willing to sacrifice of himself because he esteems her of great value. As his wife. Likewise, the wife is to esteem her husband. And of course, in this passage in Ephesians 5, there's, there's a couple things we see here, two things in particular. Submission 
and reverence. And verse 22 to 24 says, Wives, submitting yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And so, the word submit here means to yield to one's control or admonition, advice, or commands. And, and, and you know, we looked at last week about how the, uh, the Lord said to Eve that your desire is to going to rule over him. So a woman has a desire to throw off that, that control or that, that uh, leadership and to do her own thing. But, but for her good and for her success and the success of home, she is to submit or yield to the husband's leadership. As unto the Lord, notice, as unto the Lord, as the church submits itself unto Christ. Notice, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And so this is, you know, the church is to obey all that Christ commanded. Not what he suggested. It's not just suggestions, it's commands. Now, something we need to keep in mind. Go to James chapter 4, or James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <clears throat> when considering this, husbands, that the wife is to submit, we need to make it so that it's submittable. Look at James 4, or James 1, verse um, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, if we need wisdom, we're to, we're to go to God. And God doesn't say, well, my goodness, shouldn't you already know this? Are you brain dead or what? Why are you bothering me with this? You're supposed to already know this. That's really kind of the upbraiding. It's belittling. Belittling. And the same is true when a, when a husband is to lead his wife or give command, a command or to lead his household. Uh, so, so the wife is to submit. That's instruction. The second thing we see here is she's to reverence. And again, this has the same idea. We're talking about mutual esteem here. You know, the word reverence in verse 33, uh, it means to venerate, to treat with deference or reverential obedience. It's used of his devout worships. It's, it's to give deference to, which means respectful submission or yielding to of judgment, opinion. Uh, and again, all these things are to be done with respect and courteous, even, even the, the love that the wife, husband gives the wife. So, again, this requires a surrender of the will. Not just an outward, but a surrender of the will. Matthew 15, 18 says this, This people draweth nigh unto me with her mouth, and honoreth me with her lips, but the heart is far from me. This must be an attitude of the heart. 
And of course, this is this also this also would require of the wife some knowledge of what pleases him. Now we said last week about you know Adam was given the command not to eat of the tree. Doesn't seem to indicate that Eve was given that command. It was it seems to indicate that Adam was responsible to give that command on to Eve. Now, the Bible doesn't really tell us whether he did instruct her rightly or did not, or whether she just was deceived. We know that she was deceived by, by the serpent. And, 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 you know, again, it was an emotional thing, but, but she was deceived. So, but, but what I'm saying is, to, to, you know, this requires knowledge of what pleases him. Again, it requires knowing your husband's, observing him, uh, to know what pleases him. And, and, you know, maybe you're trying to do what you think should please him and not what pleases him. It's not what pleases him that requires an interest in him. It's not just what you want from him. In fact, you know, the proverb says, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. Uh, he's not looking for elegance and beauty. He's looking for a woman that fears the Lord. We need to be a woman that fears the Lord. So, so this will affect, you know, putting that into practice, this affects how you speak, your mannerisms. And, and again, how, you know, putting this into practice as a husband is going to affect how you speak and, and your manner. Uh, and, and for this, go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 Peter 3 says, Likewise, you wise, being subjected to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they hold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. That's the idea of the word reverence there. Same idea. Whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of plating of the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. So the outward appearance is secondary. It's not of primary importance. You know, our society puts great emphasis on the outward. God puts emphasis on the inward. And what will sustain a marriage is not the outward, but what's inward. What's inward? And that's Again, the mutual esteem. Uh, verse 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God a great price. For after this man in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah bade Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, you know, so this is to be a, a meek and quiet spirit. And it talks about how Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. In other words, she reverenced him. She respected him. And that's going to affect, that affects how you speak. You know, we all have people that we speak to differently. Now, I would tell Daniel, go mow the grass. I wouldn't say to Daniel, um, could you mow the grass today? No, I would just tell him, 
I want the grass mowed. I want you to mow the grass. Now, I, you know, he does work some, so, you know, I would consider his schedule and everything. But if it was a day that, that he could do it, I would just tell him to go mow the grass. I wouldn't tell Nathan to go mow my grass. Because Nathan's not in my house anymore. Nathan has his own home. And so, therefore, as a father, I'm not in command of Nathan. I wouldn't tell Howard, go mow your grass. Why? Because I'm not in command of him. I am in command of him. He is my responsibility, still. So, you know, it affects how we speak. You know, again, Nathan is no longer under my authority. And, you know, a wife needs to be careful how she speaks to her husband. Uh, you know, there, you should, you, you be, be careful how you speak to the husband. You know, there's two women in the Bible who critically corrected their husbands. One's Jezebel. And the other was Michael. You know what happened to Michael as a result? She was put away, really, and David never went to see her again. In other words, the, the bond of physical relationships never happened again with Michael. She was childless the rest of her life because she highly criticized her husband. You know, the church doesn't correct Christ. Christ does the church. You know, Proverbs 21, 9 says, It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a night house. And I'm not saying a woman cannot give her husband advice. But what I'm saying is, she should not criticize, question his motives. Um, Proverbs 25, 24 says, It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. You know, in, in the book, Under Construction, I'm trying to remember the lady's name, she had a couple of things there she, she wrote. One of them quote like, says like this, quote, A tongue three inches long can destroy a man six feet tall, unquote. You know, criticize, question motives. Um, you know, somebody said men can take anything the world throws at him if he has a wife at home who adores him. No, a wife is to entreat. That means to implore her husband. In fact, that's what Esther did to King Ahasuerus. He entreated him. I knew a man, and, and I won't say too much particulars here, but a man in another state that was husband of a woman in a church I pastored. And was at her house one time with a missionary, and the missionary asked him a question, and she laughed at him. And he got out of his seat and walked to the basement. She made fun of him in front of the missionary and I. The little, sometime later, I was visiting her dad and mom, and something was said about something this woman wanted. And this is what her dad said. I never forgot it. He said, if she wants it, she'll get it. 
You know, there was a woman who manipulated and controlled her husband, and he had no respect for her, and he was a drunkard. See, a sharp tongue, a sharp tongue can drive a man away. And so, you know, there's to be, again, this mutual esteem. There's to be reference. There's to be love. There's to be reverence one for another. And, and, and by the way, this, this works from both sides. It's not just one or the other. It's both ways. And then, of course, notice what verse 31, in verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 5, it says this. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined on his wife, and that they too shall be one flesh. You see, it is in this environment of mutual esteem that the bonding of the one flesh uh, relationship flourishes. with joy and satisfaction. You see, what the important thing in marriage is, we need to remember, is this. The fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. You know, we're to, we're to, we're to put the Lord first. He's to have preeminence. You know, it's sort of like somebody said, it's like a triangle relationship where you have the husband, you have a wife, and you have Christ who's at the, the pinnacle or the point and each is to be drawing close to him. And as each draws close to him, they will draw closer to each other. But if you put the wife before the Lord, that's idolatry. If you put the husband before the wife or before the Lord, that's idolatry. Only as you put Christ as preeminent and obey his precepts, after all, he is the one who established the marriage relation. He's the one who designed it. Therefore, we need to build it upon his principles. Not what I think. It's not what I think. You're sad to say so often young people marry someone they think they can change when they get married to them. And they don't follow the biblical principles. You know, we need to consider, again, consider, you know, these, these principles ought to be in practice before the marriage. Young ladies, how's that guy treat his mother? Young men, how does that gal respect her father? That's likely how you're going to be treated after you get married. You see, marriage is maintained by mutual esteem, one for another. That is, we value the other more than ourselves.